Van fans, welcome to another episode of VFS Van Life Podcast. This week, coming to you from an actual house. I'm recording this from the straw bale house that I'm renting while I've been in Bulgaria. So it's nice and cozy. You might be able to hear the gas fire going on in the background. I've been here for nearly two months now since I did the journey. So I thought I would just talk a little bit about what I've been doing for the last couple of months while I've been in Bulgaria. I've been looking for houses. When I first got here, I was really wanting to look at houses, but it was actually quite difficult to get in touch with anyone um, estate agent-wise. They seem to be pretty busy, um, and I didn't actually see that many houses, but I have been looking for houses. There are some really cheap properties in this area but I think I've done the right thing by not rushing into anything because I haven't seen the rest of this country yet and I'd quite like to do a bit more exploring before I make a decision. Um, I nearly did buy a house, I just had you know I was like oh that's my house, that's my house and um, actually when I first went to see it I managed to find it just using the pictures from the estate agent and um, I went and kind of illegally entered the property and had a look around (laughs) and I really liked it it had a lot of land and it had fruit trees and outbuildings and the house was okay it was kind of probably going to fall down in 10 years but the, the land was lovely and everything but um I went to view it again um officially and it was so weird I just didn't like it so I've decided just to take my time a bit more and focus on getting my residency so that's what I've been doing so I've got my residency now which is really cool it's taken such a long time I've been waiting like I mean I shouldn't be complaining it's really amazing but um I have been waiting a long time just because it takes ages to open a bank account um but now I've got everything sorted and I'm going to be picking up my card in two days time so I made it I beat Brexit I got my residency and I'm okay to be here for Uh, five years without having to renew anything so super chuffed about that thoughts on Bulgaria honestly I haven't seen a lot of Bulgaria especially because it's a pandemic I'm not exactly doing a lot of traveling around I'm really just keeping to myself in my house I've been enjoying the solitude and going on lots of walks and stuff I can see why people say it's like England must have been in the 50s it's so much more green and life is a lot slower So I'm staying in a little village outside of the old capital. It's called Veliko Tarnovo. Um, It has a fortress there, which is pretty cool. If you like old buildings, it's quite a cool place. My village is a little village. It's about half an hour north of Veliko Tarnovo. And there's loads of English people living here. And the weirdest thing is they all seem to be from Yorkshire. customer service doesn't seem to exist here like when you go into the shop and stuff people have proper like dead they're not rude or anything like that but they're proper deadpan like that real that eastern european thing where people just look at you like you just shot their mother and you're like what have i done yeah but i love it because i just can't be like that no matter how hard i try i'm always just like hello yes what can i do for you when actually i would love to just be like what do you want you fucking asshole but there we go that's my problem so um i've got loads of animal friends here which has been definitely my favorite thing about being here so i've got a friend who is a dog who comes and says hello and we've started going for walks together which has been amazing Sue, whose house I'm living in, she's got two cats and they are adorable. One of them is the weirdest cat in the world. He loves to like get up on your shoulders. Um, So he comes and sees me every morning and just climbs up on my shoulders and it's like the most adorable thing ever. And he just like purrs into my head and it's really good therapy. I'm loving that. The wildlife is really nice here. If you go for a walk, you might see some birds of prey or you hear woodpeckers quite a lot 
there's a field like directly outside the house and every day the shepherd comes past with all their livestock they've got cows and sheep and goats and dogs and all sorts and that that's really nice so it's kind of pastoral kind of place so yeah so that's what I've been doing and um none of this has got anything to do with vans <laughs> so but it's kind of interesting I think the fact that when you have a van you can end up in these places you know it's like all part of it the travel experience I'm actually leaving here in a week's time I'm going to be going and spending some time in a dog rescue shelter but I will talk about that in another intro but that's going to be a really like blissful experience for me so I'm really excited about that thank you to everyone that listened to and enjoyed the podcasts about my journey over here to Bulgaria I'm glad you liked them honestly it was really difficult for me to listen to and edit and I'm just glad it's done now um you know it was a difficult journey in so many ways because it is a pandemic it wasn't exactly a a holiday it really was quite difficult so but I managed to do it and I'm really proud of myself that I managed to do that and I'm really looking forward to the journey back because I don't feel that bothered now about the journey as I did when I when I did that first journey so that's going to be quite good as well I've had some really nice emails from people telling me about their lives and their vans and stuff. So I'm going to start reading out some emails soon. If you would like to write to me, it's vffspodcast at gmail.com. And we're also, I say we, who's we? I, me, VFFs is um, now on Instagram and Facebook as well. So you can just, you know, you know how to use the internet. It's it's easy to find. Um on Instagram, it's VFFs underscore van life underscore podcast. Facebook is facebook.com slash VFFs podcast. So should be easy to find. So it, it's winter here in Bulgaria and um, it's been very mild so far. It hasn't been that cold, although I am glad that I am in a house at the moment rather than in my van because at night it can get really cold here. I'm thinking about all of you out there who are in your vans right now in this cold season. I think it can be really rather depressing at this time of year especially as we've just gone into another lockdown I'm recording this as we've just gone into the third lockdown so it's not an easy time at the moment for a lot of people if you are struggling there are some really good Facebook groups for van lifers um, if you just go on to Facebook and, and just search van life support you should be able to find the um Hang on, let me just check it. Look. For God's sake, that's the least I can do. <laughs> Let's have a look. Okay, so the the groups that I'm aware of, yeah, it's support van lifers. That's all one word. Um, if you just find that on Facebook. And then the other one, yeah, it's van lifers community support network. So um, if you are finding yourself struggling, that is a really good place to go just to find a bit of support or a bit of understanding. Don't be afraid to ask for help. This week's guest Oh, this was such a nice interview. It was so lovely to speak to her. Um, This week I spoke to Jess. Jess was a nervous driver, but a friend's wedding in another country and a vow to reduce her air travel forced her to take the plunge and drive from her home in Sussex to Granada in Spain. We discuss her quirky purple van and her transition to her new Mercedes Vito, her rescue dog Tiny, and introducing her partner to van life. It was so much fun to speak to Jess. She's one of those people that just radiates positivity and it was so lovely to share some time with her and discuss all the things that we did. So I hope you enjoy this. So without further ado, here is the interview with Jess. Hi Jess. Hello. Welcome to VFS. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you about your van experiences. So let's start off with your new van. So what van have you got? 
The new van is a Mercedes Vito. Okay, and most importantly, what colour is it? (laughs) Black. (laughs) And um, when did you get that van, Jess? Late September, maybe early October this year, um, because the other van, the old van, died a sad death. (laughs) Oh, no. Yes, the old van was um, a Fiat Fiorino from 1994, and it was purple. She had she had some issues for sure, but eventually she she died. She could no longer drive further than an hour, <laughs> which oh, you know, no. with van life, slight slight issue. Yeah, totally. And so, was that your first van? Yeah, my okay. first my first baby. Her name was Little Van. She was ridiculously small, but you know, I'm quite short, so that was fine. And she got me all the way to Granada, South Spain and back she got me up to Scotland and all around there and you know she was she was good for her age and I got back from South Spain and I got home and I drove about two miles and the exhaust fell off (laughs) and I was like well super glad you didn't do that in Spain um but really annoyingly it was like a custom built exhaust which came out on the side not at the back so that was quite a pricey fix and it took a while as well to to do that one but then when she got her engine problem, the mechanic just said, look, it's going to cost thousands to fix this. And you didn't pay anything for this van. <laughs> so do you really want to spend thousands on fixing this? Or do you think maybe you need to just pay thousands to get a new van? And so the, the tough decision was made to unfortunately lay her to rest and then gut her and get a new van. And I've already told like my friends we're having a funeral. And everyone needs to wear purple. <laughs> yes. For anyone that hasn't seen that van, can you describe the shape of it? <laughs> it is um a purple blob. It has been described as like child hearst shape. And a Pope mobile <laughs> also got thrown into the mix. And then it just has like a long, you know, 1.6 meter box on the back of the front cab bit which has windows all around it. So it was very hot in the summer and very cold in the winter. Uh, But great views, great views from, you know, all angles. Could you sit up in it comfortably? Yeah, I could. I could sit up in it fine. I could actually stand up in it, you know, if I kind of cocked my head to the the side, Um, which was fine, you know, when you're putting on trousers, that was quite helpful. (laughs) Um, But it was hard for other people to to come inside my my partner some friends or whatever we had some dinners in there and that was always quite cozy oh my goodness oh the joys of the small van it really is like a different experience like putting on your jeans becomes some sort of logistical nightmare quite quickly <laughs> yeah so when i moved into the mercedes vito i was i was i was like whoa this is so big <laughs> Yeah, so how have you found the transition from tiny, small van to pretty big Mercedes van? Um, I'm definitely a bit more scared of driving it. Um, I hate parking, but that's just something I've got to get used to. So before I had the purple blob little van, I actually had like a ridiculous fear of driving and hadn't driven in probably about like eight years. And then all of a sudden I was driving to Spain and back for this wedding, which was probably like the third time I'd driven that year and the first two were kind of practice drives to get me prepared oh my goodness yeah so let's get into that so let's um talk about the story of how you first met little van and what you did so my friend converts camper vans for a living and she needed some extra hands on finishing a job before she permanently moved to Canada and so I went to go and help her and she was she had converted little van and was living in it whilst converting the other vans. And then I took her to the airport on the day that she was flying to Canada. And she just turned around and she went, look, here are the keys, here's the V5 document. Now you've got a way to get to Spain, have fun. And I was very shocked. (laughs) And also like, oh damn, now I have to drive to Spain, I have no excuse. Wow, and what happened next? What happened next? I I drove home. <laughs> I called my mom and I was like, Mom, now I have no excuse. I have to go to Spain for this wedding. <laughs> um, because basically my good friends were getting married in, in Granada, Spain. And the year before I'd caught so many flights that I decided that I wasn't going to catch any flights that year. And then uh, my friend Carlos called me up and was like, Jess, we're getting married in Spain. How do you think you're getting there? And in protest of no flights, I was like, fine, I'll drive. 
And everyone was like, Jess, famously, you don't drive. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I am now aware of that statement. Uh, so I thought about, you know, trains and buses and stuff, but I had to work as well. So, you know, I don't want to be beholden on other people's timetables when I have to work. You know, you know what it's like with signal and internet and stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll drive. I'll have to find a way to make it work. And then, yeah, when Little Van landed in my lap and it already had a solar setup attached I was thinking damn I'm, I'm gonna have to drive there now <laughs> oh my goodness and how long is that journey um as a round trip it's like I did 3,150 miles wow I took three weeks to get down there because like because honestly because I hadn't driven I didn't know how long it would take like could I actually drive six or eight hours or would I freak out after one and then like not want to drive the rest of the day? And because I still needed to work some days and because obviously I wanted to have fun days as well, I thought, let me take, you know, the whole month. I took three weeks to get down there. And then then I only had a week to get back because I got an NHS hospital appointment, which, you know, I'd been waiting almost a year for. So I was like, I've got to get back for this. So it took me about five days solid of driving to get to get back whoa that is serious I'll tell you what like I can really relate to um what you said like after just doing this trip here to Bulgaria I didn't know how long it was going to take me because I've never driven I'm exactly the same like I had a fear of driving and I've never driven a long distance before and I had no idea how long it was going to take by the end of it I was driving like sometimes I was driving like nine hours a day and it was fine um but at the beginning I was like three hours and then I would cry and go to sleep and then (laughs) the next day would come (laughs) I had this day on like the north Spanish coastline uh through through like foresty areas overlooking the sea and it was absolutely beautiful but for some reason like anxiety just got the better of me that day and there was this cyclist and I swear to God, like we leapfrogged each other for about four hours oh my because God. I just had to keep stopping and being like, I can't do this anymore. And then he'd overtake me and I'd be like, you just got overtaken by a cyclist. Get back in the car. <laughs> and so I'd like get back in. I'd drive maybe another like, you know, 20 minutes or something. And I'd be like, oh no, I can't do this. And then he'd overtake me again. <laughs> he waved every time though, which I thought was lovely. <laughs> so how did you find it after being so scared of driving like what was the experience like for you so like getting to Dover was a very much like a breathing exercise unfortunately like it was summer but there were big storms and (laughs) I had to wait for the ferry because it was like too rough and then they eventually reopened the ferry so I went across on the ferry and I get seasick and I didn't necessarily know that like cars could get seasick too so I get off the ferry in France and now the, the van is like, is what's it called? Like kangaroo hopping or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, I've just come to France and now the van is breaking down and like, what have I done? But it just turned out that because the, the ferry was so choppy, it like mushed up all the gunk in the petrol tank and it just like, it needed to settle. So I only ended up driving for about like two hours over in France and I did not get very far because I was kind of stuck at like a, 20 30 mile an hour speed limit because the van was playing up and so that wasn't the best first day but the next day the van was fine and I was like okay I've got this there was a lot of positive self-talk that had to happen (laughs) you know a a banging playlist some positive self-talk and some snacks and you know it really like it helped So did you have any standout moments in that three weeks that you'd like to share oh standout moments well it was amazing. Like it was definitely what well, was definitely a life changing experience because obviously now I have paid actual money for a new van. I fell in love with it that much. Spent about five days in this car park on a French beach in near Biarritz, which mm-hmm. was just perfect. It was like in sand dunes. It had good internet signal for work. It was, you know, right on the sea. I woke up every morning, went in, swam, came back, did work all of those things and that was a really nice break because all of the other places I kind of stayed for only like a day and then had to kind of drive again or or work and move on but that place I really did spend a slightly more time if I do you know well when I do trips like that again definitely want to spend longer in each of the places because I had the the wedding as a 
definite date to be in Granada. And I wanted to arrive a couple of days early just so I wasn't, you know, panicking about stuff. I did feel like I had to rush it a bit. But otherwise, yeah, that was really good. Even in Spain, you know, parking on the outskirts of cities and then getting the public transport into the cities as well to have a look around them. That was really nice because it was kind of like, oh, people, they exist. (laughs) Because I had a very, you know, relaxed and nature based trip. I didn't stay in any campsites or anything. I was always, you know, uh, wild camping in the van. So most of the time I was in places on my own or there was maybe only like one or two other vans there which was nice um, because I wanted that kind of level of solitude but it was definitely nice to go into cities and be like okay people exist they're still here yeah totally yeah it's really funny isn't it like um how it's so exciting to see people again after you've been in this box just all by yourself for like days on end and then you're like oh look there's people this is really exciting um so um what how did you find wild camping (laughs) really good um I only had three experiences where like my mind went into crazy overdrive I mean I think as a woman there is a level of overdrive which you're kind of you know always in in a van but only three times did I go like a bit over the edge and one of them was in the mountains in the Sierra Nevada desert when like I was on my own in this area and then like this other car came and I just was like hyper alert, hyper vigilant and kind of just like staring at my curtains in the darkness at them. And then in the end, I was just like, oh, I'm tired, I'm getting to bed. But, you know, I survived that. So that was good. <laughs> and then the second one, um, I always like to arrive where I'm going to be like camping up for the night before it gets dark. Obviously, like safety reasons, but the sunset was just too beautiful on this one day. <laughs> So I ended up not getting to where I wanted to park until after the sun had set. And again, this was in like a small Spanish village. And then the place I had looked at going, suddenly I got there and I think there was like a no camping sign or something. And I was like, oh, that's really annoying. Now I'm going to have to find somewhere else. Where can I find? And then I saw that there was this big, like open concrete place uh, on the map. And so I thought, okay, let me go park there. It's either going to be really nice or really dodgy but whatever it's dark and so I went there and it was absolutely pitch black no lights and so I thought okay either the view is going to be amazing in the morning because it's so pitch black and there's no light pollution or it's going to be like a brick wall but who knows (laughs) let's see when I wake up in the morning and then clearly it was a place where teenagers on motorbikes come and hang out at night And I was like, oh, like, this is really annoying. And they got very close to the van. Like, they kind of were looking in the windows in the front. And at that point, I was like, let me go and check that I locked all the doors. And it turns out I didn't lock one of the doors. And I was like, oh, my God, like, lock immediately. And I was like, oh, thank God. But eventually, again, they left. And I woke up in the morning. And I just opened the curtain to see, is this the terrible view or is this the beautiful view? And it was, like, the most beautiful view of olive fields and Spanish countryside with the sun coming up it was really nice greens and goldens and browns and I was like whoa like I was not expecting this to be so beautiful and I got out of my my van because you know there's not much space in there and I was brushing my teeth and then a man in a high-vis jacket walked up to me and he was like madam we're having our Friday morning market and you're camped in the market uh can you please leave (laughs) So I was like brushing my teeth and then I turned around and I saw this like entire grocery and clothing market set up behind me and I was like well this is awkward. I was like yeah I will just finish brushing my teeth and then I will leave. And then the last scary experience was my last night in France before I was catching the ferry back to England and um, again I, I couldn't necessarily find somewhere to park on the, on the outside of, of Calais. And so I went into Calais and there was, you know, it was a town. It was actually like the most urban place that I'd parked up for the entire trip because mostly I was in like on forests or beaches or whatever. And so I was in in the middle of Calais and I've, you know, heard bad things about it, whatever. But there were like four other camper vans near me. It was like outside um, a Holiday Inn hotel or something. And there was loads of cars around parked too. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just park here. This must be quite safe. And then just as I was falling asleep, and it was probably about 10 o'clock at night because I was having an early night because of the ferry, I just felt like 
people rattling at the doors and oh I was you know, jumped up in, in bed and I stuck my head out the curtain and I just saw these faces of these men and I was like ah so they started like rattling at the doors they started um like rocking the van and I was Jesus like Christ. having the biggest just meltdown inside all I could do was like stick my middle finger up at them which clearly didn't do anything <laughs> <laughs> and I was like I've done 35 days of wild camping this is the last day and I'm in a town and this happens and I was like in my pajamas as well which was just you know ridiculous because I have ridiculous pajamas and I just was like what the hell and then in the end they realized they couldn't open the doors they banged on the windows oh yeah so they banged on the windows and all I could do was bang back <laughs> which again not a great defense mechanism and in the end, they they like had a laugh and they ran off. And I was just sat there and I thought, oh, well, I'm never going to sleep here tonight. So I messaged a couple of friends and, you know, they were like, go get a hotel or, you know, what, what are you going to do? And I thought, I can't, I could get a hotel, but then the van is going to be on its own. And, you know, it's still going to be vulnerable to that. And being an old van with so much glass and not very good locks, I didn't really trust that it would still be there in the morning. And so I went to the ferry port and they have, they have, um parking like outside the ferry port if you're catching a ferry but it was all full because it was you know beginning of September everyone was going back to the UK and mm. it was so annoying for me because so many of the parking spaces were filled with like trailers and it's like I'm a single woman on my own and I have to sleep out there because you parked a trailer in this car park like it does not need a space um and in the end I just went to the ferry guy and he was like you can't check in yet because your ferry is not for another like 12 hours or something and I just explained to him what happened. And he was like, okay, let me see what I can do. And he made some calls. And then in the end, he got me on an earlier ferry back to the UK. Um, and it was like pretty much leaving immediately. So he just you know, checked me in and I drove on the ferry. And then I had to get out the van and I basically spent that ferry ride in the ferry in my pajamas. <laughs> oh my goodness. Because <laughs> I didn't have time to get changed. Um, but it was, yes, yeah, so not a great end to that trip at all, but I'm just thankful that happened on the last night and not the first night because I don't you know I don't know if I'd have had the confidence to do the trip if that had happened on the first night but being on the last night I just I knew that it was just like one piece of bad luck it's not a normal thing that occurs I was safe all of those other nights and that was just wrong place wrong time Okay, so today I'm telling you guys about Fetcher Chocolates. Fetcher Chocolates is an independent, female-owned business that sells luxury, handmade, vegan chocolate. I've been eating vegan chocolate for years and nothing comes close to Fetcher Chocolates. It tastes amazing and it looks beautiful. It really is the perfect gift for special occasions and something that everyone can enjoy. It's dairy, gluten and soy free, so great for allergy sufferers, but also for anyone. I mean, this chocolate is so good, you don't have to be vegan to enjoy it. There are classic flavours such as milk chocolate mousse and golden salted caramel, as well as these special Christmas flavours, gingerbread, milk chocolate orange and white chocolate candy cane. I loved the blackberry mousse bar with homemade bramble jelly and real blackberries. I'm definitely going to be getting that one again. It smelt incredible and it tasted so good. When I received my order, I was really impressed with the beautiful presentation. The colours are brown and black with a really classy gold logo and the packaging can all be recycled as paper, so no plastic in sight. Fetcher also plants trees to offset the packaging, so it's an eco-friendly choice as well. When I want to buy a friend a beautiful, delicious gift, I just go to FetcherChocolates.com and I get them a gorgeous gift that they will love. Fetcher Chocolates are offering listeners of this podcast 10% off with promo code VFF. Enter promo code VFF at checkout to receive a 10% discount on your order. Yep, that's 10% off. So go on, go to FetcherChocolates.com and get that chocolate in your life. You will not regret it. Yeah, and that could have happened anywhere. It could have happened in your hometown even. But it sounds like you dealt with it pretty well anyway. So what was it like when you finally arrived in Granada? Oh, when I arrived in Granada, well, Granada as a city is like 
a maze of very narrow roads and it's so so hot so it was it was in August and I was like okay well I'm not gonna arrive until evening because it's so hot there and Little Van does not have any it doesn't have any air conditioning but it also like doesn't have any airflow so the only issue the only thing you've got to like keep cool is having the windows open um, and I arrived at about 7 p.m. and it was still 36 degrees. Also, Little Van does not have any power steering. So trying to maneuver her around all of these very narrow one-way streets with buildings on either side was like so sweaty. <laughs> I eventually got her to the hotel car park and I, it was underground and I just like just led on the floor for a while because it was so cool down there. I then got my stuff out and went up to the hotel. And I, I led down on the bed in the hotel room and I thought, well, man, I'm going for a shower. And I could hear bickering in the room next door to me. <laughs> like there were kids on holiday and they were bickering. And I just thought, I'm paying money to stay in this hotel. And like, chances are, I'm going to have a terrible night's sleep compared to if I was in the van in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so the, like, I just wanted to be back in the van, even though I was in this quite nice hotel. Their walls were way too thin. But then the next day, it was the it was the day of the wedding so I put on my fancy clothes and I was like oh wow I forgot you know what my skin looked like under all of that dirt and I saw one of my friends from London that I didn't know was coming to the wedding and so I was like oh hey like I did not know you were coming to the wedding and then he was like Jess there's actually about like seven of your friends here and we didn't tell you we were coming but it's so good to see you it was a bit of a surprise and they were all so proud of me <laughs> And even the bride and the groom were like overly excited that I'd made it there by car. They kept introducing me to all the other people, like their friends and family and being like, this is Jess. She drove here. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, that must have been so nice to have your friends there and celebrate your achievement with them and having them really proud of you. It must have been a really nice moment. Yeah, it definitely like, you know, was a really nice confidence boost to drive back as well afterwards. Yeah, totally. I mean, I really feel like that too. I mean, like, it's amazing how you changed. Like when I drove here, I was really, you know, it was a real challenge to get here. But like, when I think about um, driving back, I don't feel worried at all. It's really amazing how much my mindset has changed. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go drive to Greece and back through Italy and France. Yeah, no big deal. Um, it's just so amazing, like how your mindset can change. And it's amazing what happens like on on the way home. There was this one day where it was just absolute torrential rain. On I was driving up through central Spain and I was around Madrid area absolutely torrential rain like my windscreen wipers going as fast as they could like I could not see anything the one thing I did see though was like a tornado in the distance and I was like this is ridiculous we don't get tornadoes in Europe ha 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 it's just a vertical cloud and then the Guardian had an article about like how there were tornadoes in Madrid and I was like oh so that was a tornado then but I just thought to myself do you know what there's absolutely no point trying to get anywhere in this weather and annoyingly, I wanted to do at least eight hours that day. I ended up doing two hours and then just, you know, parking up and being like, well, that's it for the day. Like, there's nothing I can do about this. And I feel that, you know, before the trip, I would have kind of panicked and worried that I wasn't keeping to a schedule or anything and that I wasn't like meeting my own goals that I've set for myself. Whereas, you know, on the way back, it's like, well, there's nothing you can do. So you just have to deal with it and just wait the rain out. I was pretty happy with yeah. that mindset shift. <laughs> yeah, totally. I just think like when you do something like that, you just grow so much stronger. Like when you do a big road trip, you learn so much and you grow as a person and you really become stronger. Um, Like at the beginning of my journey, I had some real issues with truck drivers being really impatient and like driving right up my ass. And I used to just cry and be like, what are you doing? But, you know, by the end of the trip, I just didn't care. And like, um, I just ignored them and it didn't bother me. And, I, you know, it, it was a real like lesson to not let it bother me. Um. Did you have any issues with big trucks or impatient drivers? The good thing about the, the little van, the Fiat Fiorino, was because it was old and ridiculous looking. I feel like, yes, you get some douchebags, but I feel like a lot of people kind of look at it and they're like, well, that's not going fast, is it? <laughs> like, obviously, we're overtaking. Whereas I guess, you know, with the Mercedes Vito now, yeah, it goes faster and I don't have these problems that I had with the little van. But I feel like, people don't give it as much what's the word 
they don't give it the the space that I need as a driver because they're just like, oh, it's a Mercedes Vito, of course it's going to be fine. Whereas like actually there's a bit of a nervous driver in it. Whereas the other one, they're like, this is a ridiculous car. It's clearly not fine whether the driver's fine or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if you see a tractor, you know you're going to have to overtake it. My van is a 1993 vehicle, but the bodywork on it is so good. Like you just wouldn't know that it was that old and it was slow. So that was definitely a bit of a nightmare. So you've got this Mercedes Vito now. Where are you in that journey? It was definitely a bit of, um, not an impulse buy, but I, I didn't spend too much time trying to find the vehicle because I was a bit more in desperation because Little Van had died. And so this was an interesting one because like I love Little Van and you know I could have gone for another small vehicle and I would have been fine. Even obviously for my planned road trip to Turkey, I'd be okay. Now I have a partner to consider in the mix and you know he is much taller than me and therefore would you know, want a little bit more comfort. So I was like, okay, I want, he's never been in a van. He's never done van life. I need to make him have a quite a good experience. So I saw this one, she, she, the, the van looked quite good. It's, you know, self-converted and it just needs a few changes in my opinion to make it better for, for my lifestyle, um, which unfortunately just after I bought the van, I injured my neck. So that was out of action for two months, but now I'm back again. Hopefully over Christmas, January time, I'm gonna make those changes to it. Um, it has a double rock and roll bed, which is good. It has a fridge, which is a definite upgrade from Little Van, didn't have a fridge. Um, the cooker though, only works when it slides out into the outside of the vehicle, which I don't like so much because it often is raining or cold. So I wanna just change that and put my old cooker in and have that accessible within the vehicle so you don't need to be cold outside to make a coffee. Um, and then just add on a bit of extra storage space really to utilize the sides a bit more and then put the solar on from little van onto the new van. Then she'll be like completely done in my opinion for me. The good thing about this van as well is it also came with a bike rack. So we went on holiday last week and we, we took our bikes, which was also a super nice experience to break up, you know, driving and cycling and hiking. Um, and also it was the first time I've ever driven with bikes on the back. So I spent most of my time, you know, checking the rear view mirror that they were still there. So obviously my partner's never had a van experience before. So I thought, okay, we'll start quite local, do a little weekend away. So uh, we live in Sussex. So we just drove along to near Portsmouth. Um, and there was, I found a really nice park up, which has, you know, amazing views of the sea from the back of the van. And it had some public toilets. So that was good. And it had a pub nearby in case, you know, all went wrong and it was cold or whatever. And we needed to hide in there until it closed. So we went there and uh, he was like, okay, so are we just going to sleep in this car park now? <laughs> and I was like, yes, we are. And then I woke us up for sunrise and seeing the sunrise over the sea and it was absolutely dead flat was just amazing. It wasn't too cold either. We had, you know, a good amount of duvets and everything. And then for breakfast, uh, I had to go and take the dog for a little walk. And I said, okay, look, here's, here's the ingredients. Here's the, the coffee, the teapot and everything make yourself at home why not start cooking up a breakfast and so he was just there you know frying some bacon um and the coffee was on the boil and he absolutely loved how all these people kept coming over and talking to him you know oh that's a great van you've got tell me a bit about the van you guys live in it full time you know all the bacon smells delicious like that and he was like I think that's the first time in my life I've ever you know made breakfast and had about 10 to 12 strangers come and start up a conversation and I was like welcome to van life <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's so nice. Yeah, it's like um, such a nice experience to have the world open up to you like that. Yeah, I was um, kind of nervous, you know, I had to make it a good first impression, especially if I want him to come join me on my trip to Turkey for some of that, that time. Oh, lovely. Okay, so I've got a burning question for you, Jess. Yep. Tell me about Tiny. <laughs> Tiny, yeah. Tiny is my dog. I was only meant to foster him. So at the beginning of this year, I signed up to be a foster dog mum. So you, you know, rescue dogs that don't get, get on well in kennels. They go to foster homes until they find their forever home. And so you usually have these dogs for like one to three months until they find their permanent home. And I absolutely love dogs, but I also have a very nomadic lifestyle. So I, I thought this is the best option for me because I can't commit forever 
ever for one dog because you know they live a really long time and so I got tiny in the beginning of February and I had him and everyone was like oh my god he's amazing I love him blah 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 and I was like yes I love him but I must not fall in love with him and I was very clear on tiny this is your temporary home (laughs) you will go to your new home soon and then I got the call at the end of February to say they found him a new home and he he was going to go to his new home and his new home was a man and his 14 year old daughter and I was like okay cool that's fine tiny it's time to say goodbye and they said you know is it okay that we're giving him to this new family or do you want to keep him forever and they really hate it when foster parents like keep the dog forever because to be a foster dog person you actually have to go through a lot more training than if you're just going to adopt a dog forever and I was like no you know this is what I signed up for and then Tiny met the family and then he came back to me and then they had one more family meet at the shelter before the dad would take him away forever and the dad was at the shelter and he wanted to have a chat with me now normally they don't allow the foster parent and the new parent to ever have a conversation but he was there early and they were like he comes across as really relaxed and chilled out when we're in this place is he actually like that at home and I was like yeah he's super chill he, he doesn't really care about stuff so he, he just wants to you know relax and they're like okay and how far does he walk does he like walking and I was like oh yeah he loves walking we do like 10 mile hikes and he comes on that with me all the time and he loves it and he'll still go home and want to chase the ball and they were like oh we don't really want to do much walking do you think he'd be okay with like maybe just one walk a day and I'm like "Mm, no I think he needs more and then the guy said you know he's only really getting the dog because his daughter keeps nagging him for a dog and they're going to keep him in a kennel in the garden and at that point, my heart just broke. And I was like, no, T- Tiny does not live in a kennel in the garden. You know, he's a super nice, chill dog. He can stay in the house. And the weather was really bad this day. I said, look, like, go hang out with him. See what you think. And I'll be back in an hour or two. And so I went and I, I had to leave. And I went to a cafe and I just called my mom and like cried down the phone for her. And I was like, I don't think these are the people for Tiny. They want to keep him in the kennel in the garden. After 20 minutes, the dog shelter called me up and was like, you can come and collect Tiny. They don't want to go out for a walk because the weather's so bad. And I was like, are you joking me? Like, if you have a dog, you have to take him for a walk, even when the weather is bad. This means Tiny's not had a walk now, so I will have to take him for a walk. And, you know, I'll gladly do that. But if you're going to have him forever, you've got to take him for a walk. So I went to collect Tiny. I raised my concerns with the dog shelter and they were like, dismissed them because I shouldn't have met the the dad in any ways. And I was just like, no, I can't, I can't cope with this. I can't cope with this. And then on the Friday, I went into my co-working space with Tiny and everyone in the co-working space loves him. And I was like, guys, I think this is the last time we're going to be coming in because Tiny has got a new family now. But I explained the situation to them and they were all like, no, he cannot live in a kennel in the garden. And I was like, I know. And then I ended up calling the dog shelter again to my particular contact. And I just said, look, like this is really distressing me. I just don't think they're right fit. And she said, "Okay, let me do a bit more research into it and I'll ask the man. And then that was probably at like 11 o'clock in the morning and I just got on with my work and then at two o'clock the lady called me back and she said okay we've done a bit of digging yes he is going to keep Tiny in the kennel in the garden so we have decided you know we are not allowing him to take Tiny Jess do you want to just keep Tiny and at that point I thought you know I did not think I would be given the second chance to keep him and so I was just like yes please (laughs) and she was like okay you're keeping tiny. You come in next week on Tuesday for the vets and for the sign over and he's yours. We're taking him off the adoption website, blah, blah, blah. And I literally just like burst into tears. And the girl in the co-working space at the coffee shop was like, oh my gosh, what happened? It's with tiny. Like, are you okay? And I just told her like, I get to keep him forever. She burst into tears. And then at the end, like everyone in the co-working space was just so happy that tiny was staying. Oh, that's so lovely. I love how everyone cried at the end as well. (laughs) Now he's with me forever and he absolutely loves the van. Like, I can't get him out of it. (laughs) He sits up front. He looks out the window. The worst thing is, is he thinks every van is his van. You know, when I meet up with van friends, he just jumps in their van and, you know, they're all fine with that. But equally, when we go to, you know, car parks or the beach and there are other van people there that have vans with their doors open that we don't know, he always tries to go and jump into it because he's just like... Why well, I love vans. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. To be fair, he's so cute. I don't think I would mind if he jumped into my van. <laughs> no one's minded too much yet. So you've got another trip planned for the future. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So it's been my you know life ambition for a long time now to 
to drive to Turkey and back before I'm 30. And this was basically because I was scared of driving. So I thought that was a good challenge. And I used to live in Turkey. So I kind of want to, I lived in Holland. I lived in the Balkans. So I kind of want to go to Turkey and, you know, hit up some of my friends on the way. And driving was the option because it was, you know, the challenge. Before I'm 30 pretty much meant I should have done it this year. Uh, But then, you know, COVID hit. So (laughs) that didn't happen. With the dog now, annoyingly, it means like I can only really travel either in the spring or the autumn because he does not deal well with the hot, hot weather. Whereas I love the hot, hot weather. But, you know, it's a compromise I'm willing to make. This year, there's definitely been a part of me that's thinking more about maybe I need to just admit it's not going to happen before I'm 30, but that it can happen at some point in the future when the world gets a little bit normal again. Because I do want to spend at least, you know, three months doing it and enjoying it. I don't just want to drive to Turkey and back and then like, done. Yeah, like after doing the journey that I've just done, like I wouldn't recommend anyone to be traveling right now, to be honest with you. Like it wasn't fun, you know, it was difficult. It wasn't like a holiday. It was just pretty depressing. And like, you know, you didn't see anyone's faces because everyone's wearing a mask. And I would definitely say um, it will be way better to wait until the world is a little bit more normal. Um, Do you have a route planned? Yeah, kind of. So I haven't decided which way round I want to do it yet. It it kind of depends on the time of the year. But basically, like, I want to go UK, France, like New Haven, Dieppe. I want to do that ferry because it's the closest to where I currently live. And then I want to go down France through the Alps and then down into the Balkans. So down into Serbia, Bosnia, Macedonia, Albania, then back through northern Greece. And then along into Turkey, coming in near Izmir to then drive up into Istanbul, I believe. I also want to do the north coast of Turkey because I've I've done central and south coast before. Then I want to come back into Bulgaria and then up through Moldova, Ukraine and into Lithuania because one of my best friends is Lithuanian and had a baby two years ago that I've not yet met. So then back up into Lithuania and then along the north coast of Europe through into Holland uh, because I used to live in Holland and then probably from Holland uh, ferry back across to um, Felixstowe, Harwich, and then back down to Brighton. Whoa, and how many miles is that, do you know? Um, I don't know, but actually, last time I checked, I think it's probably about, well, probably about 4,000 without any, like, detours. Wow, and how do you feel about that journey? Fine. (laughs) I feel fine because it's probably, like, because it's not really happening yet, but probably just before it happens, I'll have a bit of a freak out. So what advice can you give to anyone listening that is thinking about doing a long journey? I don't think that there's much you can do in terms of like preparation. I think you just kind of need to go for it. And whatever you think is, you know, the worst that's going to happen, like it's not going to happen. So I think, you know, any problems that arise, like either you will be able to fix or you will be able to, you know, get advice from people to fix. The internet is an amazing place. You know, all the van life groups on Facebook, you know, finding phone numbers of local mechanics or, you know, even local vets if you go with an animal and they get sick or something. Like all of these things are fixable problems. And I think that you don't really know how good you are at fixing problems until you just jump in. Oh, I love that you said that. That is so true because like sometimes problems can just seem so massive, but actually they're not, they are solvable. So um, you said you lived in the Balkans. Whereabouts did you live? Uh, So I I was in Serbia, Bosnia, Macedonia and Albania. I spent most of my time in Serbia, um, in Belgrade, but Macedonia and Albania as well. Oh, amazing. And what were you doing there? Uh, Working. So I'm a crowdfunding consultant and I basically help organisations run crowdfunding campaigns. And so I was in those countries as part of a programme run by the Swiss Embassy to deliver workshops to local startups and businesses on how to do crowdfunding. So if anyone's listening and they'd like to speak to you about crowdfunding, where can they find you? Yeah, if they want to speak to me about crowdfunding, then they can find me on www.crowdfund-360.com. If they want to find me about crowdfunding and or dog related stuff and or van related stuff, uh, then they can find me on Instagram 
And my name on Instagram is Jess underscore crowdfund360. So it's just J-E-S underscore crowdfund360. And I guess on there is a mixture of van, dog and work. They can also see pictures of my ridiculous purple vehicle and probably, you know, see the funeral of her when that happens. (laughs) Brilliant. So I think we can wrap up now. Thank you so much for coming on, Jess. It's been lovely to speak to you. And I'm wishing you all the best for your new vehicle. Thank you. And I hope that you have a lot of fun and warmth in Bulgaria. Thanks again, Jess. Great to chat to you. Thanks, you too. It was a good chat. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. That was the interview with Jess. I hope you enjoyed it. I've still got the fire going here. It's lovely and cosy. It's actually um, started snowing now. And now it's time for this week's bonus feature. A really bad guide to chocks. Hope you enjoy it. I've got me chocks here. Last night was a shit night's sleep. So I'm going to attempt to use my chocks for the first time. If you don't know what chocks are, they are um, like levelling blocks to make your van, you know, at the level you want, kind of flatter or whatever. So I've never used them before. Now what the fuck? Okay, right. I guess I just got to put them under the wheel. And then I think you've got to like kick them under, make sure they're straight. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll give it a go in it. Kick it. Kick that bloody wedge. Right. Get the other one. Stick it under. Looks good. Doesn't feel good, but let's just ignore that. Okay, here we go. Gonna give it my best shot. Ladies and gentlemen, why do I have a feeling this is gonna go wrong? I don't know. We'll see, we'll see. Right. Okie dokie. have a look I've done it brilliant that wasn't that hard at all so I just kicked it under the tyre and then just like reversed onto it and it just went really well oh fantastic so that means whatever else happens tonight at least I'm gonna sleep comfortably with a nice little upward slope because it's better for my back yes thanks for listening to vff's van life podcast if you want to write to me it's vff's podcast at gmail.com see you in a couple of weeks